Welcome back, everybody. We are here with an update from uh, the World Cup in Baku. Fabi, first of all, welcome back. Congratulations on finishing, uh, successfully finishing a few uh, rounds, uh, three rounds. Uh, so uh, exciting games so far. Take us through, let's say, the process so far. Uh, these were not easy matches by any stretch of the imagination. Well, I, I played two matches. So I, the first one I didn't really play, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't play it at all. Um, I was seated directly through to the second round. Yeah. Then I played uh, Mihal Meshedlashvili from Georgia, who, like, at his peak, I think he was top 50 in the world. I think he was around 26, 50 or so at his peak um, back in the day. So he's he's been a very strong player. He's, he's not at his peak anymore, uh, and, and the match was pretty straightforward, I have to say. But the, the last match, the one that just finished today, was far from straightforward. Um, I was playing uh, Mustafa Yilmaz. And the funny thing is that I've known him since we were like eight years old or yep. something like that. I Me mean, too. Yeah, same generation. Yeah, we're, same we're generation. the exact, pretty much like same, I think the same birth year, um, playing in the same World Youth Events. Going back to the year 2000, or even possibly even earlier than that, and so I've known him for a long time—not like personally, but as a chess player, I've known him for a long time. Uh, I played him in the Olympiad last year, and uh, okay, he, he's a very good player, but I, I did feel like a heavy favorite. But the match um, was was pretty topsy-turvy, I have to say. Uh, it was it was a close one. It, was, it wasn't a smooth ride. Well, I need to ask uh, you about that first game. Uh, obviously, we know that you were winning and then you kind of made a huge blunder in a winning position. It felt like anything wins, you missed one key move. How was that feeling for you? How was that moment for you? And how did you recover from that? Well, you know, it was funny because... Um, like during the the world championship match when I was doing commentary, I was very critical of Jan for his uh, sometimes rushing through critical decisions while he had plenty of time on the clock in in important in a very important event. And then I did the exact same thing, and I started to wonder, like, am I? I, I really shouldn't be. Uh, I mean, there's a saying, right? People in in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. <laughs> and I, I guess I I probably. Um, had to eat my words a little bit because I did the exact same thing that that he did in the match, not not the same position of course, but uh, but basically rushing through a moment where I have plenty of time and there's no downside to using the time. Yeah. And it's also the critical moment in the game, which means that like let's say at the start of the game, in the opening or something, it's usually not a critical moment because you're deciding between let's say a slightly better position, you know, an equal position or two types of equal positions, right? They're, they're sort of in chess, we have decisions that are relatively minor that don't alter the course of the game so much. But then clearly when I have, like, you can feel that this is a critical moment somehow yeah. that I'm, I'm close to a win. I felt it. I, I thought I was winning. And, and I just thought a six is winning. I thought game over. I thought for maybe a minute, I don't know exactly, but it, it wasn't more than two minutes for sure. And 
I played A6 thinking, okay, game over. He resigns. Take, take. I just like calculated his his A pawn running, like A5, bishop A6, A4, B7, A3, rook C8. I queen first. I win the game. <laughs> then, of course, he instantly played bishop G6. Uh, and ironically, I, going back to my room in the elevator, I met Jan. <laughs> and he was the one who was like, oh, did you see rook take C6? So I was like, well... Or he worded in a way, I think he said, like, did you, I guess you heard about Rook takes C6. And I think I said, like, yeah, well, now I have. <laughs> uh, I mean, it was it was immediately obvious when he said it, which moment he was referring to, because it's just, yeah, take my A-pawn promotes. Yeah. Um, so that was that was pretty silly, uh, because it was a relatively good game up to that point. So pretty... Very smooth, very smooth after that point, yeah. Yeah, pretty silly mistake. Um not one I'm very proud of, but... And then the I second game, that... I mean, you were under pressure the whole game. What was the strategy going into that one? Did you think about taking any risks, or were you okay with black pieces just to equalize and make a draw? Like, what was the strategy? Take it to the tie breaks. Yeah, I kind of, like, read this the same narrative, that, like, I was under pressure the whole game, which I... I, like, I even read an article which said that I was like aiming for a draw from the start and then I was under pressure, <laughs> which isn't my memory of the game. Like I, If I wanted to draw, then I would play a different opening. I mean, the Queen's Indian was a fighting choice. Yep. I wasn't opposed to a draw if it happened, but I was trying. I was aiming for a fight by playing this Queen's Indian line because it's a very, it keeps all the pieces on the board. Um, to, to his credit, he was very principled. He played... Like, white doesn't have to take on d5 in the opening, so white can play with a, a more fluid pawn structure where you're more likely to see exchanges in the center and, and possibly a more sterile position. But he took on d5, it leads to a locked pawn structure where it would, to, would clearly define plans for both sides. It's a very strategically interesting variation, which, uh, which I've looked at in, in quite a lot of detail. I, I really do like the strategic side of it. I, I find it very interesting. It's a favorite of, for example, Sergei Karyakin. Mm -hmm. And in 2016, from the white side, I played um, the candidates uh, against Sergei, and he played this line against me, and he was also de defending it in the candidates against other players. So it, it's a very decent line, but you're basically gunning for a fight there because the pieces stay on the board for a very long time. So, of course, the position is objectively equal, but it's it's a position where you're likely to see people make mistakes because the, it's very complex. And I got what I wanted. He started to make uh, some strange moves, like Queen A1. I thought it was a very strange move. Then I thought I was better, like clearly better, but I couldn't find the right plan. And I, I felt like my plan should be connected to pushing D4 and sacrificing a pawn, but I couldn't make it work. So I was thinking of various moments, and I, I, I kind of had a big time advantage, which I burned up trying to make D4 work in various moments. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then the funny thing is, the moment that I finally played D4 was the worst moment that I could have. <laughs> like, there were various moments when I played D4, I'm better, Timing. and various yeah. when I played D4, I'm equal. But when I played D4, I was borderline losing. So I, I played it at the worst possible moment. Then I was losing, like, objectively. Uh, and then he just blundered horribly. Like, he blundered that. Uh, yeah, he blundered queen takes f4. Yeah. He played rook, rook d to g2, blundering the f4 pawn. Uh, 
the win wasn't simple, but he was winning. It was like, let's say a strong engine gives plus four. So yeah. the my fate was it, no... It wasn't good. straightforward. There, there were some sacrifices. I think he had to take on H6, if I remember correctly. Um, yep. That was an exchange sacrifice. So it, it was definitely not straightforward. And Rook G2 didn't necessarily make a lot of sense because you're just blundering the pawn. But it felt natural just for the simple fact that you're tripling down, right? I'm actually kind of curious what he missed. I guess after queen takes f4, he just thought that he can sacrifice on g7 or... He didn't realize I could play queen takes f4. Oh. He probably connected my ideas with knight takes f4, which uh, he's obviously preventing. Yeah. Uh, and he just missed queen f4. After, after queen f4... Well, first when he played rook dg2, I was like... For a second, I was like, okay, I'm either dead lost... <laughs> Because I missed something after Queen F4, or he blundered. There was only two possibilities. But I, I looked at the board for like a second or two. I didn't see any immediately obvious reason why Queen F4 is bad. And and I figured that I'd probably lose if I don't play Queen F4, so I just went with it. Then he started to think, so I realized he blundered. Then he found a remarkable resource when I was already like thinking the game is over, Rook E6. Yeah. Uh, and this is, of course, the last strange moment in the game. <laughs> because, okay, I took on e6, he took, and then rather than spending my time here for some reason, I just repeated. Uh, and after the game, he told me, like, oh, you could have taken on f5 and rook e7. And he wasn't sure it was winning, but uh, but he was rightfully concerned with it because yeah. well, it is winning for black, so... I, I was winning in the final position where I allowed a repetition. Did you even consider queen takes f5, or it just slipped your slipped your mind? I considered it in if you would consider it, like I calculated queen f5, e f5, and stopped. Okay. For some reason, I didn't go. On, I, I think based on a kind of casual glance, like uh, I thought that the g6 square is weak. He moves his rook, and then queen g6 happens. Yeah. Which, um, one important detail is that after rook e7, if he tries to play rook e2, I have knight of 4 so I cover g6, and I also attack his rook. Yeah. And the, the main issue for him is that, like, f3 is falling in pretty much every line. And after that, his queen on g1 is... So it's just, like, tactically it doesn't work out, because the queen on g1, rook on g2, everything is in the wrong place for, for that f3 pawn falling. So rook e7, um, he can fight on a little bit, but more or less it's game over. Which was like two absolutely ridiculous mistakes. Uh, I mean, the second game wasn't good. It was very nervy. I was very nervous at some point because I think the like my final decision was very much based on the fact that I just had lost control earlier, and I was no longer in like any decent emotional state. So I thought I thought I was losing, um, and. Normally in a tournament, it's like, okay, you lose or you draw. You know, it's not a tragedy most of the time. Here, it's like the tournament ends immediately. So realizing that I was basically losing and it was out of my hands and he, he could have eliminated me, I was just like thrilled to actually have still be in the match, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, it makes perfect sense. And actually, th this is something that I feel not a lot of uh, people understand very well, the type of emotions and, and, and the type of pressure. Because... Sure, chess is a pressure game. You make one mistake, you lose, but the tournament usually goes on. This is just, you make a mistake, you lose, you're out. You're, you're back to uh, wherever you came from. So it, it, it's quite a, 
winner takes all type of situation and the tension is extremely extremely high um cool well and we've actually seen that with a lot of players right we there's been so many surprises up to this point mvl is out uh way is out anish just got eliminated today everything happens in a split second in in in, in one move uh as it often is the case cool all right tomorrow uh i believe you're playing uh, ray <laughs> an all-american matchup is that well, a... t- tomorrow i'm not playing anyone uh, oh, tomorrow is a rest day yeah oh very nice That's tomorrow nice. the funny thing is there is a uh is a match i think ali reza is playing um iturizaga eduardo iturizaga okay online not in the world cup <laughs> but they are so they postponed their match I don't know, know exactly why, but I was like hearing in real time why that they were postponing it because they couldn't agree on a date. Mm-hmm. So they picked a date that was right in the middle of the World Cup. And um, it's on the rest day. So let's say if Iturizaga was still here, not eliminated, then he would be playing on his rest day match against Ali Reza. And Ali Reza, for some reason, didn't want to play on an earlier date. I don't know why. They had some earlier date that was scheduled and they got canceled and whatever, but but they are playing tomorrow, I think. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that makes but sense. I'm not. It but okay, yeah. So, so this is interesting because the tie breaks were today. It means that everybody actually, probably for the first time in the World Cup, gets a rest day tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. 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 Perfect. Yeah. Some people got two. Two rest days, of course. Of course. Any any plans for the rest day? Um, I don't has, know. Yeah. Uh, how has your routine been in this World Cup? Give us well, a, you know, a I, I've sneak been, uh, sneak peek into. I've been trying to recover a bit from some like unfortunate, um, like slight minor health issues. Uh, I don't know, like I, I got some pretty bad infection before the World Cup. Uh, it wasn't like. I mean, it wasn't like a flu or anything. I, it was like an infection on my arm. But at some point, it led to me having a fever as well, and it was also very painful. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I've I've been like physically a little bit uh, up and down. Now I'm now I'm feeling better. That's great. Great to hear. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's going to be a long tournament. I have to say, like tiredness and nerves will play a big part uh, as we get. I mean, already in the next matches, even in the even in the matches that, like, if we look at the last round. My match was very nervy. Um, uh, Maxim's match, uh, like a lot of strange things happened. Yeah. Also, even Chuk's match, he he eliminated Wei Yi. It was like a little bit weird how even Chuk was playing in classical games. To me, like he played very irresponsibly, but uh, but okay, it worked out. He eliminated him. So, like Rajabov got eliminated. Also. I think he was one of the favorites in the tournament. Yeah. And uh, as you mentioned, Anish today got eliminated in the blitz. In the, in the final blitz game. No, no. And it, it's interesting because a lot of decisions, and this is, I, I feel, a big part of uh, this uh, specific format. A lot of decisions are very different than what you would do in other type of games. Like even Anish in today's match, at some point he got, out prepared i believe it was the last rapid match he was white and he had objectively a better position but his opponent abasov was just blitzing out his moves and then anish was okay after like three minutes of play he just decided to repeat the position and 
take the match to the blitz section. Yes, but knight b2, rook g6 hitting that queen. So do we see a repetition? Rook g4, queen h6, rook g6? <laughs> Is Anish trying to get this into a blitz? Well, I mean, he probably got out prepared again. Yeah, Avasov is just coming up with brilliant ideas. And yeah, Anish has nothing against repeating. Wow. Anish Kerry with a draw, of course. Uh, yeah. So but this, this I, I mean, I, I, I saw this moment. And Anish took this decision very quickly. He did, yeah. So he played, Avasov came with some sort of rare line. Like, I, I know the line, but usually... So his line was like first played... Um, Kramnik Zapolov in 2006 in the World Championship match, but usually black like castles instead of an ID7 leads to some endgame which is more or less equal. Yeah. And then he, okay, he sacks the G7 pawn. It's kind of a rare idea. Anish almost instantly decided to shut the game down. He did. He did. Yeah. Like he didn't want to play against prep. I understand. It was it was rapid. You don't want to play against prep. I understand this decision. Um, but okay, you never know what will happen. But it, it's two-game blitz match, unless you're like a huge, huge favorite, it's it's going to be very, very close. So, uh, and also, Abbasov, you know, he like he he fought well, he came well-prepared, he had ideas, he out-prepared Anish very cleanly in, in the second 25-minute game. Uh, then, to be fair, Anish was winning that game at some point, so he, he, he could have put the match away there. Uh, he'll probably regret that moment quite a lot but uh, but yeah Basov fought well and and had ideas and he was you know he wasn't giving up so it was a good match for him yeah but yeah we, we see a lot of like very nervy stuff I mean Wesley for example Oof. Wesley has been <laughs> losing like every single game at some point but he he somehow hangs in there well <laughs> I mean he was losing twice against Jules today but he drew both games and then as soon as he gets an advantage, he wins. Like, his conversion is very clean. He, yeah, he's, he's very strong. Yeah, shaky at times, but whenever you give him an opportunity, he'll capitalize on it. Um, you're playing Ray. Um, I, I won't ask you to, to give your preview because obviously those type of strategies um, maybe will be revealed after the match. But before I let you go, I need to ask you, do, do, do you still have any sort of uh, extra TMZ-style reports from the gym? Uh, I know your first report on Abdusatorov was very popular with our uh, viewers. Do you have any <laughs> any other reports from the gym? No, I, I, I can tell you from the pool. From the pool, okay. There were players in the pool. Beautiful. Um, Salem. But it's not very interesting. Like, what, what am I going to say? Like, Salem was swimming. I mean, it's not. That's that's what the people not want too to exciting, hear. right? <laughs> so there we go. That's what the people want to hear. Fabi, um, I'll let you go. It's very late for you. Go get some rest. Go get some prep going. And um, good luck in your Thank match you. against Ray. Thanks. Cheers.